Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. And today we are joined by Alex Ford, the VP of Product and Marketing of Encompass Corporation. Know your customer KYC regulation is evolving and so are the costs and impact on the global financial industry. Encompass's intelligent process automation platform for KYC dramatically improves the client experience, significantly speeds up KYC due diligence on corporate clients. So before joining the world of tech, red tech and fintech, Alex works in leadership and coaching, which sparked her passion for people and creating environments that will bring the best out of them. So as you can see, there's going to be a lot that we can cover today, and she is here to share her story. Alex, welcome. Thank you, Nadia. Great to be here and on the pod. Yeah, lovely to have you. So I'd love you to start off by telling us all about Encompass Corporation. You've been there eight plus years now, so I can imagine there's quite a lot that you can share with us. Yeah, it's been a journey. Um, Yeah, delighted to have the chance to share a bit about Encompass today. So uh, we're a reg tech business. We were founded in Australia in 2012. And today we're operating across the globe. We've got offices in the UK, in London and Glasgow, Singapore, Belgrade and Sydney, where it all began. So we're about 150 people these days. And uh, yeah, I guess a, a big portion of those being our product and engineering teams building the software that we make uh, that helps banks and other regulated entities meet their know your customer or anti-money laundering regulations. Amazing. So tell us a bit about the challenges that you overcome as a business. So I guess the genesis of uh, Encompass is an interesting place to start on that one. Our co-founders were themselves the victims of financial crime and um, left asking, you know, why they or their advisors weren't privy to better information about who they were dealing with and solving that problem is really where it all began. So from there, you know, today we find ourselves in a position where two to five percent of the global GDP equivalent is is laundered each year and that's a massive problem that banks and uh, other actors in the system are working to try and solve and a part of that is really understanding who you're doing business with at every transaction along the way. And so that's one of the the challenges that we're uh, tackling and that we're helping our customers tackle to pull together information from disparate sources, so data and documents, 
you know, the average bank would use more than 100 sources typically that are approved to look into who they're dealing with, uh, registries, regulators, listings, as well as, as premium sites. So understanding all that data, quickly getting a view of it all, seeing who you're dealing with is a real challenge. And it's a, a technology challenge that we've been working on over the time you say, and that, uh, yeah, we've developed some unique capabilities around using intelligent automation and uh, data aggregation, among other things. Wow, I had no idea. Two to five percent of global GDP is mm. yeah, uh, and only one percent of it, or or amount like that, that's detected. So for the most part, being undetected. So you know, it's a it's a massive, massive challenge that there's so many actors in the system that need to come together to kind mm. of tackle it and do better. And and it's a challenge that I suppose, like me as an everyday person, I don't necessarily think about or quantify like I know that there are many people who are victims of financial crime and I think another thing to say about this is it's another fintech that's grown out of a lived experience which I think really is so important to that mission of a business like really feeling that problem that, that you want to be solving and that drives companies forward and I love to hear stories around that. I wanted you to tell us a bit more about your background. There's been so much focus on people and their diversity of background. I wanted you to share that with us. Yeah um, well my background is I was lucky to have one of my early roles in my career be with a coaching and leadership company, as you mentioned at the start there. And that really sparked my interest and and passion in how you set people up for their best performance. And so that organisation was helping other really large organisations equip their managers and leaders to create those environments and have the skills for those conversations. And that's been a sort of theme in terms of what uh, I'm interested in doing and and how that relates to how businesses grow and attract people and customers and and build. So when I crossed paths with the founders of Encompass, you know, that was something about what they were doing that really interested me too, was tackling a global problem, wanting to build a business that was going to achieve something extraordinary. And that's where I started working with Encompass and have gone on the journey from first entering the business, looking after marketing, then going on to the UK when we uh, did our first major deal in Australia and and sold the rights for the product there, which was the catalyst for our international expansion. And from there, I had uh, four and a half, nearly five years in Glasgow in Scotland, which was fantastic and Mm. a great place for us to launch our UK business from and and grow the business. So that was a, a super experience as well. And today, speaking to you from down under, back in uh, Australia for the the immediate period, working with everyone virtually uh, around the clock. You know, we've got colleagues in the US and Australia and the UK. So it really is an around the clock operation, which I know many businesses are, are working in today. So fantastic that you mentioned that, because I think, you know, with the pandemic, it's very easy for us to talk about like the, the negatives of it, which of course are, are, you know, are so huge. However, we've come so, so far forward with the way that we work virtually. And it is wonderful to be able to say that, you know, I can talk to you in Australia now. I'll be speaking to Amsterdam later. You know, yeah. it's, it's really, yeah. um, it's really nice. And I think yeah. that was something that you mentioned about just how many, how many meetings you're able to, to go and have without, without locations, no barrier. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think that in itself has, has a positive a positive impact on, on what I love to talk about and what I love to really instill action for around that diversity and inclusion topic. And I know that you've got some really great thoughts on your work around diversity and inclusion, especially the start somewhere concept. And I loved this when you told me this. So I'm, I'm really keen for you to, to, tell, uh, to tell our audience all about it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we were discussing it earlier, being on the public stage, talking about our achievements, certainly I'm proud of, but I know we've got a long way to go in our business too. And one of the things we we struggled with earlier on was where to start and sort of not letting good be the enemy of best, but rather taking a first step forward, explaining what you're doing, accepting because you're doing one thing in one area doesn't preclude you from doing other things at another point or mean that you don't also see those other topics as important, but really just saying doing nothing is also a decision, you know, inaction is also a decision. And so you need to start somewhere and get iterate from there, get feedback from your, your colleagues and the communities you work in as to whether those things are meaningful to them. And, you know, for your colleagues, really, that's I guess, the kind of heartbeat or the collective that you're wanting to connect with first and foremost, what, what matters to them. And we you know, have had great people join our business over the eight plus years. And at different stages, employees come with different expectations and indeed our own maturity in terms of what we can do, the scale of what we can do, the capacity, you know, going from survival mode as a business in your very early days when you're starting out to getting to the point where you, you know, have time to think about um, bigger purpose as well and understanding what's important to a broader set of, of colleagues. So we've had people join the business who've prompted us to think harder and, and do more and that's been something that we've really welcomed and has got us on that path to starting to somewhere yeah 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 and I'm so pleased that you're able to share that with us because I think that that's actually a great concept for 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 everything you know I've thought about this start somewhere concept a a couple of mornings this week when I felt overwhelmed with how much I need to do on a particular subject Um, and I, I really believe that diversity equity and inclusion is one of those topics where everyone knows it's, it's going to be good for them and it's going to be good for the business and the future and the sustainability of the business and, and its impact. But it can be really overwhelming. Where, like, where do we start and what do we start with? And, and if we start with this topic, does that mean that's more important than that topic? And you can really overthink it for yourself. Um, yeah, it can be paralyzing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think what you've just said there is, is something I want to quote you on. You know, inaction is, um, is, is also a decision. And, and I think just just hearing you share that, like just start somewhere and then you can you can look at different iterations. Sometimes you just need that push. So I, I'm really pleased that you shared that with us. Thank you. I, I also wanted you to talk through your thoughts around DNI not being a, only a woman's issue. And I want you just to share around what you think we need to do to get everyone involved. Yeah, I think this is a topic that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and is close to my heart is the sort of systemic approach. And, you know, I mentioned the workplace I was part of helping uh, leaders and mentors and coaches. And I remember we had one session there called um, Fix the System, Not the Women. And 
so often I see, you know, these these are valid too. I'm not saying they don't have a place, but you know, an overemphasis on the skills of an individual woman in terms of determining her progress in a system that's that's stacked against her. And you know, this applies for different minorities as well. You know, putting that responsibility with the individual alone to overcome years and years of biases and systemic uh, disadvantage or you know predispositions to a certain outcome is just completely unrealistic and unfair and so some of the I guess manifestations of that that I see are in care you know caring for family elders or children and the impact that tends to have on women and their careers more so than than men and so there's a lot of things that need to happen to rectify that imbalance, including enabling men to take a, a much more active role. And there's an essay called Men at Work by an Australian journalist, Annabelle Crabb, and she also has a, a fantastic book called The Wife Drought, which I like to let people know about because it's a, a fun play on the concept that the difference between people who make it to the top echelons of organisations and those who don't, uh, the correlation is is the having of a wife. <laughs> you know, if you have a wife who will, you know, and she's using that as a, you know, a, a symbol, I suppose. You know, if there's a person in your life who can leave early to pick up the kids or can go if the kids are sick or can stay home so you can make that business trip and travel so you can be noticed and get the promotion or work late to get the deadline met, you know, these things are enablers for the other. And if you've got that, then you can progress. And if you don't, it's a lot, lot harder. So that's just, you know, one example of where the system can work for or against seeing more women at the top of organisations. I'm really pleased that you've, you've brought that up because I think that it's not necessarily something that people will bring up in this conversation, but it's one of those, those truths that needs yeah. to be part of the conversation. You know, uh, a few years ago, there was a lot of talk around what it takes to be a CEO. And one of the, one of the things that I really liked was, because I related to it, was your clothes for the day. And talking about how a lot of CEOs will wear exactly the same thing or just a set of, a set of clothes. I, I always, in the office, would wear a black wrap dress and I have about 100 of them, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but it's because I didn't, want to have, have, I didn't want to have to waste my time thinking about that. You take mm-hmm. that further and this, you know, the wife drought or the wife, the wife uh, yeah. conversation that you were just saying, you know, there are, there are some CEOs who will have somebody sorting out the food, breakfast, lunch and dinner for the day, sorting out the clothing. As you said, Getting, getting the kids to school, battling with, with the little one who doesn't want to wear socks and shoes but wants to wear their, you know, their, their, their ski boots or something. Hat, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah pink, yeah, pink <laughs> flip-flops and it's snowing. And you're absolutely right. And for, for me, like I love in these conversations that we can have a real conversation about what the real things are that are happening. It really opens up our next question wonderfully because... The next question is very much around the systematic support to working parents and how that hinders our chances to address the industry's imbalance. So, yeah, that's taken us quite nicely to that question. So I'd love to hear your thoughts there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, just about that equality in in both directions, you know, uh, giving men permission to participate 
feel entitled to ask for the same opportunities to be involved in parenting. And when that happens, that gives women the opportunity to, to step back or, you know, re, readjust the balance. So I think in enabling that through things like affordable childcare, which is very topical um, in Australia at the moment, makes a really big difference to what families can do. Because again, you know, systemically you have things compounding like gender pay gaps that by the time baby number two comes along, it doesn't make any financial sense for the lower earner to go back to work while the higher earner doesn't. And typically, statistically, that, that is the man. So then you're even further entrenched in those kind of cycles or patterns that we see. So it's things like that that are structurally, you know, and there's a, of course, there's an equality angle to this and there's a welfare angle to this, but there's also a really, really strong economic case to this, you know, the productivity and returns that you get back by having 50% of your workforce back in contributing an extra day a week, two days a week, you know, at times like this in the context of COVID where we've seen that women have been hit harder by the pandemic in terms of impact on their work and taking up the slack in, in the caring and other arrangements. It's really a time where we in recovering from COVID, need to be able to tap into the potential of the entire population, not, not just half of it. So it's a really good sort of call to arms to say, let's learn the lessons about how work can be more accessible as we've learned through remote working through necessity and at the same time make some of the structural changes which will give us those social and economic returns. I couldn't agree more. And uh, here in the UK, the, the conversation around childcare is, is very topical as well at the moment. Yeah. And just the, the sheer shockingly high cost of it, you know, m- more than people's mortgages, especially when you get to having two at nursery at once, it's, uh, w- which I'll be dealing with from October, which is just, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking. And I think that, it, again, what a great thing, because these are real real issues that we need to solve to be able to properly tackle this debate and I think that when I introduce these pods I always say let's walk the talk and and these are these are the things that we've got to fix yeah there's there's lots of things that we can fix internally within businesses but some of these much bigger topics that you're talking about we have to talk about them and be honest with them and work out how we can change that system as individuals so I'm, I'm really really loving everything that you're saying um, and it kind of takes me on to my last question which are which is around your thoughts on the marketplace and what more we should be doing for this workplace inclusion yeah that's a great question I think you know having the conversation as we are and, and others do giving making spaces that women can be seen in in leadership roles and that role modeling you know you can't be what you can't see and that whole concept of putting the ladder down and sharing and being there to mentor others and have yeah honest conversations about the difficulties of of making it all work or having it all which of course is a total fallacy and life's messy and hard and and sharing that and planning some of the factors that would contribute to having more diverse and inclusive workforces I think is a really important part but you know it's it is hard and people sit at such different points on the spectrum you know within any five people you bump into in a day and those conversations can be difficult and uncomfortable so I think one thing people can do is 
try and uh, listen respectfully and make it okay for people to have the discussion. So for example, say quotas is a, always a hotly contested or you know debated topic. And rather than people just being too afraid to bring up issues like equality because they don't want to be branded sexist or whatever elsest, be, be prepared to reserve your judgment, listen to the other person and, and share a share your point of view in a way that doesn't prevent them from participating in future conversations about it. You know, I think while it's fine to challenge, you also need to invite people to the table so you can move forward. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with what you said there, because I think there's a real big topic here around psychological safety at work. And it's one thing, you know, in our industry, we love to challenge. We challenge to make ourselves make each other better. We challenge to get the best out of out of the idea. We have to test that idea. Great, but I think that that element of humanity of we are we're talking about topics that are that can be incredibly sensitive that haven't been addressed properly in the past. So, we, so as you say, we've got to really encourage people to come to the table in a way where we're welcoming rather than that that what can sometimes feel like that barrier of challenge we want everyone at the table you know and coming back to the point about system rightly or wrongly today men are the power brokers in the system so excluding them from the conversation because they you know don't feel that they're going to be able to contribute or they're going to be branded as holding a particular attitude or labeled in some way isn't going to help us get to the next stage so that's Mm. that's why i think that's important as well yeah and a really important point to to end this on that you know it is about about all of us being inclusion is about including everyone right yeah so so it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you i've written so many notes throughout that because i think there's just so much that we can take from the lessons that you've shared with us and your thoughts and they've been really real and really honest and I thank you for being able to share that with our audience because I know that's just going to inspire people to have proper conversations in their businesses and proper conversations in their homes about what they need for support so um, I think you've made such an impact today and thank you so much for being on our Women of Fintech podcast series. Absolute pleasure thanks for having me. (laughs) 